Father, we just thank you once again this morning. We come to your throne room of grace. We thank you, Father, for yet another day, O oh Lord, almost close to a month, O oh Lord, that you've uh, granted us these these days of of uh, study and meditation and contemplation. Lord, even as we, Father, once again come this morning, we come to your throne room of grace. Father, quicken us this morning, O Lord. Quicken us, quicken us. Challenge us, O Lord, Father. Challenge us in a special way this morning. Revive us, O Lord. Let us just not get used to the word. Father, become too familiar with with so many things that we might have heard over and over again. But truly, Lord, I pray, Lord, as, as... as the manna, Father, the Lord, that will be a fresh, fresh word, O Lord, this morning. Even as we meditate, O Lord, upon this word, I pray even if it is familiar, Father, you would, Lord, quicken it and bring to life, Father, things that you want us to focus on in a special way this morning. To that end, I pray that you would bless this time of meditation and instruction. Grant us grace to that end, we pray. Anoint us all to speak and to hear. For in Jesus' name, Amen. Okay. Yesterday, we looked at uh, prayer and one particular prayer that we focused on was the prayer of the widow. The spiritual widow, right? And the church is exhorted to have that kind of an attitude, an attitude of absolute and total dependence on God. <clears throat> you know, um, we looked at Psalm 66 last night, which says that if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. There's another powerful verse which I would draw your attention to this morning, if you will turn with me to Proverbs chapter 28, and if you can read it in the NIV, Proverbs chapter 28, and verse 9, Proverbs chapter 28, verse 9, it says, if anyone turns a deaf ear to the law, even his prayers are detestable, is it NIV? Okay, uh, or another translation, or maybe NLT, maybe would would be good. Yeah, if one, yeah, excuse me, ESV. Okay, if one turns away f- his inst- his ear from hearing the law, even a prayer is an abomination. You see, so that is the reason why it's so important for us to hear. It's the teaching of the word of God and prayer, intercession, both are important. You see, it says. The word of the Lord appeared to Abraham. Scriptures spoke to Abraham. The word of the Lord appeared to uh, to Isaac, and uh, and then they built an altar. Okay, so you see that this instruction keeps instruction of the word of God is so important, so that our minds will be in tune with the Spirit. If you turn with me to Romans chapter eight, it's a very powerful verse. Uh, Romans chapter eight. Uh, and verse um, <clears throat> um, verse 26 onwards 
Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray as we ought. Okay. But the Spirit Himself makes intercessions for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Okay. Now, so many people have a problem with this, but okay, let's not um, talk too much into that. But look, look at verse 27. Now, he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. You see, and we know that all things work together, etc. So you see, uh, the whole purpose of uh, prayer is that we are, our minds are uh, in tune with the Spirit and the Spirit will do nothing in vacuum. Okay, so we keep on getting instructed in the ways of God. So, uh, actually, Proverbs chapter 28 verse 9 in one of the translations will say, If anyone turns a deaf ear to my instruction, even their prayers are detestable. You have the NLT? NLT? 28.9 in NLT is like, yeah, yeah. Yes, uh, is this NLT? Yeah. NLT. The prayers of a person who ignores the law is, are despised. And, and modern translation, uh, I found it very interesting. It says, if anyone turns a deaf ear to my instruction, even their prayers are detestable. Remarkable, isn't it? So instruction is very important. That, that is the reason why all scripture is God-breathed. And this is and it is prof- profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Okay, so this is important for us to uh, tune our minds to the word of God, to the ministry of the word and the ministry of prayer. Both go hand in hand and we need to have our minds instructed in the ways of God so that we think the thoughts of God. And when we start thinking the thoughts of God, if you turn with me to John's gospel, chapter 15, verse 7, this is what it says. Okay, if you abide in me, okay, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. You see, when two, two agree, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. The thing point here is, but the point, how do we agree and on what we agree? There's a unity of the spirit and there's a unity of faith. Okay, and the faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And therefore it says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, whatever you ask, it shall be done. Again, chapter same chapter 15 verse 16. Look at what it says. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask, again, in my name, he may give you. Again, 1 John chapter 5 verse 13 onwards. 13 and 14. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. So this is important. You just not believe once, you continuously believe. Now verse 14. Now this is the confidence we have in Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. You see, that is the reason why we need instruction. Okay, this is the will of God, your sanctification. This is the will of God uh, uh, that you... uh, that you keep excuse me keep giving thanks at all the times and again first peter chapter 2 will say this is the will of god if you turn there i mean very very interesting will of god um, so many places but um, first peter chapter 2 uh, and verse um, verse 13 to 15 yeah 
Yeah. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of a man, of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king or as supreme, or to the governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who are, who, who do good. Verse 15, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. In that context, right? So, we, when we do the will of God, we understand more of his word and when we understand more of his word, we understand more of his will, we get to understand his good, good, acceptable and the perfect will of God and then we begin to um, pray and when we begin to pray, we know we have the confidence that whatever we ask according to his will, he hears us. It's okay. Um, so, yes, last night we looked at um, uh, the widow, right? Um, there's a very interesting uh, passage, if you turn with me to Isaiah chapter 47, if you will. Isaiah chapter 47, and if you can read from verse 3 onwards, or 4 onwards maybe. Oh, let's, let's, read, let's read from 3 onwards. Or, yeah, maybe from 1 onwards. Let's read that, from verses 1 to 8. Yeah? It says, Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground without a throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for you shall no more be called tender and delicate. Take the milestones and grind meal, remove your veil, take off the skirt, uncover the thigh, pass through the rivers. Your nakedness shall be uncovered, yes, your shame will be seen, I will take vengeance, I will not arbitrate with a man. As for our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts is his name, the Holy One of Israel. Sit in silence and do and go into darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans, and actually verse 7 and 8. Let's see verse 7 and 8. You said, I shall be a lady forever, so that you did not take these things to heart, nor remember the latter end of them. Therefore hear this now, you who are given to pleasures, who dwell securely, who say in your heart, I am, there is none besides me, I shall not sit as a, Widow, nor shall I know the loss of children. This is Babylon. Actually, Revelation 18 and verse 4 onwards. Actually, similar. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. Huh? For her sins have reached to heaven and God has remembered her iniquities. Render to her just as she rendered to you and repay her double according to her works. In the cup which she has mixed, mix double for her. Or 7 and 8, in the measure she has glorified herself, lived luxuriously. In the same measure, gave her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen and no widow and I will see no sorrow. And verse 8 will say, therefore... Her plagues will come in one day. You see, this is essentially the the attitude of the last days church, if you will. In the in the in the in book of Revelation chapter three, you, you don't have to turn there to the Laodicean church. God says, you know, you say that I'm rich and I don't need anything, but you don't realize that you are wretched, you are blind, you are poor, and you are naked. You see, therefore, the attitude of a widow, if you look at the spiritual widows of one who's completely dependent upon God. And upon these kinds of people, God builds his church. Okay? 
So remarkable thing upon these kinds of people God builds his church. It's like a it's a spiritual condition, it's a spiritual attitude. If you turn with me to put this in context, put uh, turn with me to Luke's gospel chapter twenty one and let's read from verse verse one onwards. <clears throat> this, you know this very well. He looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he also saw a certain poor widow putting in a two mites. It's like they say it's like one-fifth of a cent. Have you seen a cent? You know, in you, in Canada, you know cent, right? One cent. One cent is a kuchni hota. One-fifth of that cent. Okay. She, certain poor widow, she put on one, each uh, uh, cent is, I mean, each mite is one-fifth of a, of a cent and two cents make two by fifth, two-fifths of a, <laughs> it's, called, it's called a farthing. Okay. In, uh, in Mark's gospel, he talks about that. Very little. So absolutely poor. And he saw also a certain poor widow putting in her two mites. And then look at what it says. Next verse. So he said, most assuredly, truly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all. For all these out of their abundance have put in offerings. Notice that point. Put in offerings to God, for God. But she out of her poverty put in all the livelihood she had. So, now the disciples, now this is remarkable, right? Jesus is there sitting at the temple and he's looking at all the people who are putting in offerings. And I believe he does this even today. Okay, when two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there in their midst. And if he's there in our midst, all of us who come to, I mean, the church is full on every Sunday, of course. Now, nowadays, uh, I'll come to, we'll come to that. He's shut in all these offerings. If you have digital offerings, people are sending digital offerings. That's, that's a, besides the point. The point here is, he says, I've, he has, she has given everything and the disciples are shocked. They're totally, totally shocked. Turn to Matthew, Mark's Gospel chapter 12 and 13 verse 1. 13 verse 1. Then as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And then you know what he says? Jesus answered and said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon the other that shall not be thrown down. Now what inspired the disciple to make a statement like this? Okay, now go back to Luke's Gospel chapter 21 and let's read from again 4 verse 4 and onwards. Okay, see what happens. For all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God, but she out of her livelihood, this is a poor widow, out of her poverty, put in all the livelihood she had. And the next verse, then as some spoke of the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and donations. Now look at this. How much did she put, Baba? She put two mites. What? Not even a brick you will get. Not even one grain of sand you will get. And you are saying, Lord, look at all these buildings. These buildings are made out of uh, donations and adorned with beautiful stones. What are you talking about, this lady? And then Jesus says, these things which you see, the days will come in which not one stone will be left upon another. Everything will be thrown down. In other words... Structures which is not built upon those people who have completely given themselves to God will fall. That's the whole idea. That's the whole point. God does not dwell in temples made with hands. We know that. But we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And he said, destroy this temple 
And I will raise it up in three days. And they said, it took us 46 years and a lot of donations to build this temple. And you are saying that you are going to build it in three days. He was not talking about this temple. He was talking about the temple of his body. That is the reason why in First Peter chapter 2 he says, look at verse 4 onwards. It says, coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house. Okay, first, you are being built up into a spiritual house to become a what priesthood? A holy priesthood. To do what? To offer up spiritual sacrifices. You know, those the priesthood there, we are called, we are called a royal priesthood and a holy priesthood, also a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. So it is still not acceptable until it is going through Jesus Christ. So you are a living stone. You are being built up into not a normal house. It is a spiritual house. And it is not an ordinary priesthood. It is a holy priesthood. And we are not offering any kind of a sacrifice. It is a spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God. It's just not a spiritual sacrifice. It is acceptable to God. And it is acceptable to God because it is going through Jesus Christ. So many parameters over here. Over here. Okay. So they did not understand that they were talking, he was, they were, he was talking about their, his body. Therefore, the temple of Jesus Christ in the last days is not going to be built up with normal stones, but by living stones, not on foundations made on cement and brick and what have you or iron, or whatever, whatever, but on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being what? The chief cornerstone. And therefore he says this. He says, you are living stones, not just ordinary stones, you are living stones. And you know something? During the time construction of uh, Solomon's temple, there was no sound of any tool near the temple site. All the living stones were scattered all around the world in a different, in a quarry. Okay. And the tool was being put onto them and, you know, they've been cut and cut and cut and they've been brought to the temple and finally the temple of Solomon was made out of all those stones. And that's exactly what God is doing, working on us individually. Of course, in, in the, in the, in the context of a church. Okay, and then finally, once he has done his work, he's going to put, he's going to take us there, and he's going to, if we are a part of the New Jerusalem, he will put us there and into that holy temple. Okay, so he's working on all of us. So, and what is the kind of people he's looking for? A person who is a poor spiritual widow who has given her everything. That is what he's looking for. Okay, what is a poor widow? Totally dependent upon me. What has she given? Her everything. You see, is our talent sufficient to build the body of Christ? No. So no matter how talented you are, you are absolutely incapable of doing the work of God. That is the reason why, if you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, look at what he says. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Actually, first, uh, let us read First Corinthians chapter 1 and read from verse um, 26 onwards. Look at what he says. For you see your calling, brothers, that not many wise according to the flesh, 
not many mighty, not many noble or called, but what God has chosen, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. So these are the people he's using. And then he says, but if you really, really think that you're great, you know what, what should happen to you? First Corinthians chapter 3 now, verse 18, hmm. Let no one deceive himself. If any one of you, if anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he be made wise. So it is impossible for, for any one of us to have the resources in and of ourselves to build the church of God. That's exactly what, uh, what's his name? Moses said, no, Lord, I'm incapable of that. That's ex- so if the, the, if the, if the minister of the letter finds himself to be absolutely, absolutely incapable of doing the work of God, how much more you and I, who are supposed to be not only the ministers of the letter, but of the spirit. Okay. So we are incapable. Therefore, this is, this, to become a spiritual widow is a, it's, it's, it's a spiritual thing. It's not, it's, it's not, it's, it's got a very negative connotation, but that's the spiritual condition that God is looking at. Totally, absolutely depend upon him. That's what he says, right? I am a husband to the widows and a father to the fatherless. Okay. Totally, absolutely dependent and say, Lord, I have nothing in me, nothing in my hands I bring simply to thy cross cycling. Okay. That is the kind of um, uh, attitude that we need to have. So he, and that's exactly what he does with everything, everybody. That's what he did with Moses who was learned in all the wisdom and the ways of the Egyptians and made him into absolute zero. And he says, Lord, I cannot speak. Please. Okay. I've got a very stubborn tongue, he said. He says, I am a man of uncircumcised lips, he says, in one of the places. He says, send somebody else. And God says, who made mouth, who made man deaf, dumb, etc. So, but still he would not have it. And God gets really upset with him and he says, okay, fine, your Aaron, your brother is coming, he's a very good speaker. Okay, so you, as I am God to you, you will be God to him and he will be your prophet. It's remarkable. Okay, so he comes to that point in his life and he says, Lord, unless you, and that, you'll see that constant dependence upon him, his dependence upon him. He says, Lord, unless you go with us, we will not go from here. Unless your presence go with us, we will not go from here. So that is the attitude with which, you know, he's looking for in order to build his uh, body in these last days. Poor widows who give their everything. If you turn with me to Isaiah 18. If my memory is right. Sorry, not 18, Isaiah uh, 19. If I'm right. Where? No. Hold on. 19. Where the offerings of a... All right. Don't, don't, okay, just, just leave it there, okay? Let's move to the next thing. So, he's looking for those attitudes, okay? So, therefore, the whole church of Jesus Christ in these last days is going to be built upon these kinds of people. 
who have given their everything to God. Isn't it interesting that Jesus was watching the people putting all their offerings and the only one person whose offering was accepted by God was the widows. Okay. And he was not, obviously he was not talking about money. He was talk, talking about her giving herself. Therefore, if you turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verses 4 and 5, look at what it says. Uh, 3 to 5 actually. 3 to 5. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we should receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And look at this, verse 5. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. That is the person God is looking for. What did the widow do first? She gave herself first to the Lord and she gave her everything to the Lord, not her leftovers, but all that she had. Okay. All that she had. Everything. Her best. Okay. You deserve my best, Lord. Okay. That's exactly what Anna was, right? Right from the time that she was seven years from her marriage, she was there in the temple. Boy, the best of her life she gave to God. Not the dregs of her life. She could have gone and married somebody else. That's exactly the reason why he says, a person who is living in pleasure is already Dead even as she, even if she lives and he's talking in the context of widows. You know that in First Peter chapter 5. First Timothy chapter 5. Right? So, the person who gave her best to the Lord. And you know, that's exactly what God is looking for. Who are these people? These are the people who tell the Lord, Lord, you deserve my best and not my dregs. You deserve the best of my life. You deserve the best of my minds. Of my mind. Okay, not when my mind has become old, now it's not going to think anymore, then I'll give it to the Lord. No, 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 no. Okay, so that's exactly what the, what, uh, what the offerings are, right? How do, how do we, how, what did uh, Abel offer? He took the best, the first, of course. He gave the best to the Lord. And, and uh, what is his, what Cain said? He brought some of the fruit of his field. He doesn't take, Talk about the quality of his offering. It only talks about the sum of the fruit of his offering. And then God looked at Abel and he accepted his offering and he looked at Cain and he did not accept his offering. One of the reasons I feel very absolutely sure that what Abel gave was the best. Okay. Uh, it's like this, no? When you're giving an offering, it's a token of saying, Lord, I give you my everything. It's, it's like this, no? For, I'll give you an example. Uh, Justin and I got married. Okay. So, during the uh, time of our uh, exchange of the vows, um, one of the questions that, you know, pastor gently asks, the pastor or the one who's conducting the marriage, what token of your uh, love that you bring to your spouse or to this lady? He says, this ring. Okay. And he puts the ring and he says, with this ring... Uh, I make this covenant. What is the covenant? All that I have is yours. With my body, I honor you. Forsaking all others, I am giving myself completely to you. That is the symbol of this ring. Okay. Right? Similarly, she also does the same thing. She also says, okay, this is the symbol. All that I have, I am giving to you. I am just completely dedicating myself to you. That is the symbol of the ring. So when... Abel is coming with his offering. He's saying, Lord, 
this is an offering, this belongs to you, and with this I am making a covenant saying that all that I have is yours. Okay. I think that's what the widow must have thought. Lord, I have two mites. I can just give 50%. But all that I have is yours. She just gave the whole thing. So God is looking at everybody who is giving the offerings and he knows who is giving his everything and who is who is not giving his everything. What we give as a tithe, so to, so to speak, is... Okay. <laughs> the, the, the tithe that we speak is saying, Lord, this is the first lump. Okay. And this lump is yours. Everything is mine. I mean, everything is yours. Not not 90% is mine and 10% is yours. Everything is yours. And when I'm giving you the first part, I'm acknowledging that all that I have is yours. Everything is holy. That's what he says. If the first lump is holy, the rest of it, rest of it is also what? Holy. It is set apart for God. It is not that you will just spend it the way you want. You are still saying, acknowledging and saying, Lord, this is yours. I'm giving, this tithe that I'm giving is just a part of, I mean, it's a way of telling you that everything that I have is yours. That is the reason why when Ananias and Sapphira bought uh, their uh, uh, their offerings to the church, you know, P- Peter looked at it and he says, you know what? You might have given a lot, but by giving the, the part of it, you are telling that I'm giving everything, but knowing very well that 50% was was there inside of in your house. You're just deceiving God and saying that I'm giving my everything. No, but you're not doing it. Right there, they are judged. The church is not going to be built on such people who act as if they are giving everything, but they are only giving a part. And that too, uh, because, you know, it's under compulsion. Otherwise, you know, uh, he who does not bring tithes will be cursed with a curse, so they are scared of that verse. They say, I don't want to be cursed, so take this, Lord, and leave me alone. Okay, leave my 90% alone, take your money and go. Oh, it's like this one man, no one man of God was sharing this uh, in one of his sermons. He was saying that he was uh, sitting in a train and uh, and he opened his lunch box, his dinner box, dinner, just before he was sleeping, he was going to have his dinner and he was going to sleep and the guy next to his door also started, you know, opening his uh, lunch box or whatever box, his uh, dinner box and he started opening it and he put all his rice and then he mixed his food and then, you know, he started making one nice big round, okay. Nice big round like that. And this guy was wondering, my goodness, is he going to eat this big round? And he took that nice big round like that and uh, he opened the window and he just threw that thing out of the window. And uh, this guy was shocked. He said, why did you throw this out like that? And he said, no, 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 that is uh, God's part. <laughs> He said, "What? Which kind of a God is that who is running after your train to get your get, get your offering?" There's a lot of people are like that. Leave my ninety percent alone. Take this and go. They're acting as if they are giving their whole to God, but what they are doing is they are just keeping something apart. That is not a spiritual widow. You understand what I'm talking about? If they're acting as if they're giving their entire thing to God. That's exactly what, what, uh, what Cain was doing. He gave something and telling Lord, I'm saying whatever I've given you is as if I've given everything. And God says, no, I know your heart. You're not giving me everything. You do not love me with all of your heart. 
Really, I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about helping your brother or your sister. That's 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 the secondary part. I'm talking about giving to God. My goodness, it's such a very serious thing. So, when you're giving to God, what are you saying? As I said, it's the first part is holy. That means the whole the rest of the rest of it is also holy. Meaning what? I'm acknowledging Lord, this is yours, and the rest is also yours. And I am telling you that you are the Lord of my money. I am going to spend it the way you want me to spend it. And if you want me to give more of it. I am willing to do it. That is the reason why in the new covenant, it is not ratio giving, it is proportional giving. The more you make, the more you should give off. Give off. Well, See, if the old covenant is 10% and that is a letter, spirit is less or more? Ah, more, gada. It is not just more, it is much more. Ah, much more. So everything belongs to him. Okay. So that is a spiritual widow. And anything apart from that, God doesn't like it. He knows our heart. I mean, just imagine now if the church would really take this seriously. How different the body of Christ would be. Everybody says, Lord, this is yours, Lord. Yeah, we are all struggling. But you know something? You begin to say, Lord, I do this by faith, knowing. What did the widow have? Tell me. Think about it. She gave everything to the Lord. What does, she, what does she mean? What does that mean? What does that mean? She's saying, Lord, I give everything to you and I trust you for that you're going to come through for all my needs. I'm not saying that you should give everything to... I'm not talking about emotional giving. I'm just talking about... This particular incident because Jesus sampled this incident out and he's talking about his widow. And therefore there's a lesson over there. And we don't take it lightly. It's a, it's not emotional giving. Some people are emotional and say, okay, fine, tomorrow, next month, next month they will, <laughs> they will take their enter bank account and, I mean, we are not talking about that. We're talking about the attitude. And most of the time, it is more easy to give once than to give consistently. Think about it, no? A guy says, okay, I've got like 100 bags now of rice. Okay, let's say his tithe is only five, five bags. He says, okay, fine, let me just uh, give off 50 bags now. Pardon take. If you know what I'm talking about. No, it is it is easier to do that than to consistently give to God. And consistently increase your giving. You think about it, which is easy? To give once or to consistently give? Let us take all these things to to heart. So the widow teaches us those lessons. She says, Lord, all that I have is yours. In in that very act of giving, she is making a spiritual statement saying, Lord, I am yours. And Jesus says, you know what? The temple of God is going to be built upon people with this kind of an attitude. Okay. So therefore... (laughs) That is by way of introduction to come to Malachi chapter 1 again. Hmm. Okay, let's go to Malachi chapter 1. Verse 1 onwards. 
Okay, we'll read from verse 1. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. What does the word Malachi means? My messenger. Whose messenger? God's messenger. He, he doesn't have a name. That's interesting, right? It's only a title. Who wrote Malachi? Nobody knows. That's a, that's a remarkable part. Nobody knows who wrote Malachi. It's like nobody knows who wrote Hebrews. It's one of those books in the Bible that nobody knows who wrote. His name is Malachi. No, it's not Malachi. What does Malachi mean? My, my messenger. That's all, that's all it means. It could be a title that he gave to himself. It's like a pen name, no? There was a, there was a book called uh, Hardy Boys that we used to live. Franklin W. Dixon. When I was a kid, I used to read it. So many books I read. I said, boy, this, this guy is a great writer, Baba. Fantastic writer. How come he's churning up books like this? And later I realized that it's a pen name. Many authors have written that book. <laughs> it's only a pen name. So, so many, anybody can write a book on Hardy Boys and then, you know, that gets published. And the author's name will be Franklin W. Dixon. But here in this case, this guy, he doesn't even want his name. He says, you know, my name is Malachi. What does Malachi mean? A messenger. That's exactly the John the Baptist attitude. That is the reason why he wrote about the spirit and the power of Elijah. That in the last days, a man will come in the spirit and the power of Elijah, who will say, I am not Elijah, I am not this guy, I am not that guy, I am just a voice in the wilderness. I don't want, want to have my face on any YouTube or whatever. Nobody should know my name. I just want to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers before the great and the coming day of the Lord. That's all my mission. So don't have any personal credentials. And in order to prepare a man like that, God had to put him in the wilderness for 30 years. But the remarkable thing is that with all the credentials people have, you know, John's Gospel, I mean, Luke's Gospel chapter 3, right? Very interesting that this fellow has gone. I should read that. Read Luke's Gospel chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 and 3. 1 and 2, enough. Now, in the 15th year of reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being the governor of Judea, Herod being the tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip being tetrarch of Ituria, and the region of Triconius, and Lysanias tetrarch of Ibelin. What has happened? Ananias and Caiaphas were the high priests. So the political establishment, the religious establishment. God circumvented everybody and the word of the Lord came to John, of John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. Who is this guy? A voice in the wilderness. A mere messenger of God. Okay. And if you are just a mere messenger of God, you know what the Lord is going to tell us? The word of the Lord is going to come to you. If you are just a messenger. You are high. That means he has become so in one with God. He's completely hidden in God and therefore you will see that he's not afraid to confront anybody. He's not going to flatter anybody. Because he doesn't want a reputation. Because he has no reputation. He's just a mere messenger. So that's just besides the point. Let's go back to Malachi chapter 1. We can talk so many things about it. This is one of, one of my favorite books by the way. But just, 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 let's read it. Malachi chapter 1, verse 1 onwards. Right? Verse 1 onwards. Uh, um, the burden of Malachi. Okay. The burn of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi or Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, yet you say, in what way have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord, yet yet Jacob I have loved and Esau I have hated and laid his his mountains and his heritage for the jackals of the wilderness. Now we can, we can, we, we talked about it yesterday and look at the attitude of Edom. What is Edom? A man of the flesh. 
That's his attitude. Look at what he says. Even though Edom has said, we have been impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. His pride will never go down. Okay. God is going to judge him, but he is going to say, okay, you judge me, I'm going to build. I'm going to become even more powerful. Thus says the Lord of hosts, they may build, but I will overthrow. I will throw, I will throw down. They shall be called the territory of wickedness and the people against whom the Lord will have indignation for ever. Okay. Your eyes shall see and you shall say the Lord is magnified beyond the border of Israel. So this was the introduction that we looked at yesterday. And then we looked at verse 6. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If I, then I'm your father, where is my honor? And if I'm a master, where is my reverence, says the Lord of hosts, to you the priest who despise my name. Yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? Okay. What kind of a priesthood are we? Holy priesthood. Coming to him as living stones. You are being built up into a spiritual house. To offer up, to, uh, to become a holy priesthood. You are being built up to become a holy priesthood. To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That means the whole purpose of building the church is that we become a set of priests who give to God something which is acceptable and that is only in the spirit. Okay. And that is only which is acceptable to God. Okay. He who is in the flesh cannot please God. We know that very well. Okay. Yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? And then comes the indictment number two. Look at what he says in verse seven. You offer defiled bread. The word for food is bread. On my altar, but, but you say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying the table of the Lord is contemptible. You see, <clears throat> If you offer defiled food on my altar, you know, this is, this is like this, you know, Malachi is this guy. He already preempts your objections. Okay. He already preempts your objections and he answers your objections. That is how he is. He's so powerful. This is really, really powerful because he already knows what kind of objections that you will raise. That's what he says. In what way have you defiled you? You say, but. By saying the table of the Lord is contemptible. How are you making it contemptible, Baba? Look at verse 8 to 9. When you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? When you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably? Says the Lord and verse 9. But you entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to you. While this is being done by your hands, will he accept you favorably, says the Lord. He says, he's comparing two things. He says, you bring me the lame, the sick and the blind and defiled food. Just imagine, no? Sami comes to my home. Okay, example. Just giving you an example, okay? Or Dr. Richard comes to my home. And... And I said, Dr. Richard, please come to my home. I'm going to give you the best of the food. Uh, for dinner. I didn't say best of the food. I just invited you for dinner. And Dr. Richard comes to my home for dinner. Alright. And then I put the table. And then I bring a loaf of bread. Cut it. Fungus is there in the middle. Okay. 
and uh, I take uh, three to four days uh, old food. I put it on the table. A strange smell is coming even as I bring it to the temp- table. And I say, Dr. Richard, I love you so much. Can we have this food? And you will say, you are crazy, man. You are not my friend. I am just giving you an example. Okay. You don't do it. I don't do it with with you, right? Why? First thing, I want to honor you. The whole purpose of bringing you to a dinner is what? To honor you. The whole purpose is for us to have a spread is to honor. Every time, that is exactly the reason why in the son of the, I mean, in the Pharisee's home, there's a fantastic meal spread. But this lady comes and starts washing Jesus' feet. And Jesus says, Simon, Simon, I came to your house, you did not give me a kiss. You did not wash my feet. You did not give me anything to cleanse my You did not even invite me the proper, you didn't give me the honor that is due me. Okay. You, did, you, did not, you did not honor me. He's, here here he's saying, you do not give it to forget about the governor. You don't even give it to your best of friends. Or your, not even the best of friends, just not ordinary friend, whomever comes to your home. Um, just imagine, no? Uh, like for example, when whenever we want to invite somebody, the kind of guests who's coming determines the kind of tension we have. Right? Well, we need to be the best. We need to give the best. When they're coming home, they should feel comfortable. Otherwise, what will they think, Baba? Okay. See, you don't give the best to God, but you give it the best to somebody else. And God says, you know what? You honor men more than you honor God. You love the praise of men more than you love the praise from God. Because offering to God who sees? Nobody sees. Offering to men who sees? That fellow sees. Are you should go to Vijay's house. What a fantastic guest he is. Sorry, host he is. But this one, you love the praise of men more than you love the praise from God. It is not that you are just the fact that you are giving me a defiled, uh, lame, sick and blind. That is, that is, I am coming to that point. I am looking at your heart. I am seeing that you would not do that to your governor, but you do it to God. That means you are saying the praise and approval of men is more important than the approval of God to you. That is the reason why in John's Gospel, chapter 12, verse 42, this is what he says. Look at what he says. Verse 42 and 43. Then Jesus cried out, uh, nevertheless, sorry, nevertheless, even among the who? The rulers, many believed. You see, I'm telling you, it is very difficult for people who are rich to come come into the kingdom of God simply because of this reason. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him. Lest they should be put out of the synagogue. And he gives the reason. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. That's exactly what God is telling. You know what? You give me your offerings. One of the things, when I look at your offerings, I look at your heart. It is a revelation of what your heart, what your heart is. You love the approval of men than the approval of God. 
by the kind of offerings and the attitude with which you are putting your offerings. I am not even looking at your offerings first. We will come to that. The giving the lame and the sick, why is it such an abomination in the sight of God? I will tell you later on. But the first thing I am looking at you is that you love the approval of men than the approval of God. First thing. That is the reason why for you what is more important? Outward to people is important. Not to God. See, look at what it says in Romans chapter 2. Let us read it. We know this very well. Verses 28 and 29. <clears throat> this is talking about a true Jew. Hmm? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor circumcision is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And the circumcision is out of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter. Finally, ha! Whose praise is not from men, but from God. So he is talking about at least four things, three things here. It is not outward. It is of the hidden person of the heart. That is the reason why he says, let not your adorning be that of the external, but let your adorning be that of the hidden person of the heart, uh, the beautiful ornament of a meek, gentle and a quiet spirit, which in the sight of God is what? Very precious. Sin is there in the heart. It starts in the heart first. Second, he says, it is not the outward, it is of the heart. Second, he says, it is not of the letter, but of the what? But of the spirit. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 7 verse 6. Romans chapter 7 verse 6. Very interesting verse. Hmm? But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we have all, we were held by, so that we should, look at this. Read the next, what is it word? Serve. In newness of the spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. That means we are just not looking at the minimum requirements. You see, God is looking at it and at his heart and he's saying, you know what? Your your heart attitude is this. What is the minimum I should do in order to enter into heaven? Minimum. I tell you, you know, think about it. When a guy comes to my course and he says, Lord, pastor, pa- not Lord, not Lord, not pastor, pa- sir, what is the minimum I should do in order to get a pass mark in this grade, in this course? The moment somebody says like that, it is an insult on me. I look at him and he says, what do you think of my course? What do you think of this course? That you want to do the minimum and get by? How do I look? I've started a charitable organization called Take Great and Go. No. It's an insult. That means you're saying, sir, I'm not interested in your subject, okay? I know that you're a cool grader. Just give me my grade and let me go. What is the minimum I should do? To pack up jacket, sir. First, I mean, I'm going to, I don't have to say all those things, but I really get upset. Really get upset. And, and a couple of students came to me and I flung them. I gave them an F. Okay. They came to me and he said, sir, you know, uh, my, it'll look very bad on my resume. Uh, See, he's not even concerned that he did not like the course. He's worried about his credentials. 
Sir, I heard that you don't flunk people. I know that you don't like to play with other people's career. That is all secondary, Baba. I'm not even looking at that. I'm looking at your attitude. And I just looked at him and I said, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to change the grade. I'm sorry. Period. Minimum. It is not by the oldness of the letter. Letter is what? The minimum. And so many believers are minimum Christians. And they think that the children, uh, that that, that, that the temple of God and the kingdom of God is going to be built upon minimum Christians. Minimum. What is a bare minimum I should do? What is a bare minimum I should do in the church? What is a bare minimum I should do to have the quiet time with God? What is the amount of time I should spend with God? You think about it, no? How much time should I spend with you so that I can come into heaven? That tithe is enough? Tithe is enough? If that is the attitude you come to God, that means you have actually not... I don't even know whether you are born again or not, first of all. You know why it says, desire the pure, what? Milk of the word of God, so that you may grow into salvation, if indeed you are what? What? Tasted that the Lord is, ah, it is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance, right? If the goodness of God has led us, led you to repentance, what will be the automatic response? You'll be craving for the spiritual milk and you will not say, how much time I should spend in the, in the presence of God? You will say, Lord, how much ever it, I love spending time with you. I'm not even looking at minimum. My minimum is my maximum. That is what I am talking about. It is not of the letter, it is of the spirit means what? I am not just looking at what is the minimum requirements to get into heaven. What is the minimum requirement? So many people, how much, what is the minimum time I have to spend in the, in the, in the presence of God? What is the minimum I should give? What is the minimum I should do? You are asking us too much. Think about it. I am going to come to that. Why do we give lame and sick and etc.? We will come to that later on. But look at our attitude, my dear brothers and sisters. The attitude matters. <sighs> Look at one guy, you know, this is so crucial for us to hear from God. Worship God in the spirit, not in the letter. Turn with me to John's Gospel chapter (laughs) 9. How these people love the approval of men. Look at what it says. Chapter 9 verse 13 onwards. Read from verse 13 onwards. Okay, this is beautiful. They brought him who was formerly blind to the Pharisees. We know the story. Okay, what is this guy? Born blind. Hmm? Now it was a Sabbath on when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes and they have a huge problem. They are not happy. Think about that. That guy was sitting there on uh, for 38 years. Nobody cared for him. And God says, just pick up your mat and walk. And he says, it is not lawful for you to pick up the, your mat on Sabbath day. This is exactly what he, what is happening over here. Let's let's move on. Verse fifteen. Then the Pharisees also asked him again, how he had received his sight. He said to him, he put clay on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Okay. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, because he does not. Remarkable, isn't it? Remarkable. Turn with me to Matthew chapter five, verse seven to eleven. No, 15, 15, 7 to 11, not 5, 15, 7 to 11. 
hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy about you saying, These people draw to me with their, near to me with their lips and honor, I mean with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Heart is far. And then he says, next verse, verse 9, And in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines, what? The traditions of men. The traditions of men. Traditions of men. That's what is important to you. The traditions of men has become important. Now go back to John's gospel. Hmm? He put clay on my eyes and I washed and I see. And the next verse. Therefore some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such things? And there was a division among them. (laughs) They said to the blind man again, what do you say about him? Who, who opened your eyes? He said, he's a prophet. This, I'm very clear. He's a prophet. Born blind. I cannot see. It is impossible that anybody who was born blind can see like this. Unless God is with him. Next verse. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and, and received his sight until they called his parents of him who had received the sight. And they asked them saying, is this your son who you say was born blind, how then does he see? Look at the parents' answer and look at how John records this. His parents answered and said, we know that this is our son, that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we do not know, or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age, ask him, he will speak for himself. And then he says, the next verse, verse 22, his parents said this because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed that already if anybody confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogues. That's the problem. You like the honor of men more than the honor of God. But thank God, the guy who experienced the miracle is not like his parents. Therefore his parents said, he is of age, ask him. Next verse, verse 24. So, they again called the man, look at the hypocrisy over here, okay? Look at this hypocrisy of these, of these Pharisees, okay? So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, give glory to, ah! <laughs> Till now you like the glory of men. That is the whole, whole reason why you are telling them, telling them, right? You should not, uh, honor this man, otherwise we will put you out of the synagogue. So you like the glory of men, now you are hypocritically saying that you like the glory of God, give God the glory. We know this man is a sinner. And you know, he says, he answered him, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. And then, (laughs) then he said to them again, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I mean, they are getting so frustrated now that this guy is not going to change his testimony. He answered them and said, I told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? You see, do you also want to become his disciples? They get so upset because to become his disciples, a Sanhedrin, they do not, they do, it's exactly what happens to Nicodemus. He goes in the dark, you know, why he goes in the dark and he goes out in the dark and never becomes a disciple of Jesus simply because he likes the praise of men than the praise that comes from God alone. Then they reviled him and said, you are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciple. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. And then the next verse, the man answered and said to him, why? (laughs) This is a marvelous thing that you do not know where he is from. Yet he has opened my eyes. 
ఈజ్ లైక్ సర్కాస్టిక్ పైనుంచి దిగు దిగిన దిగి రానివాడైతే నా కళ్ళను ఎలా దొరుస్తున్నాడు అసలు దిగొచ్చినాడే అంతే కదా హీఈస్ కంఫర్టబుల్ ఫర్ ష్యూర్ అదర్వైజ్ ఇట్ ఇస్ ఇంపాసిబుల్ దట్ బట్ యూ డోంట్ వాంట్ లిసన్ టు నో వీ నో దట్ గాడ్ డస్ నాట్ హియర్ సిన్నర్స్ హీ నోస్ వెరీ వెల్ గాడ్ డస్ నాట్ బట్ ఇఫ్ ఎనీ వన్ ఈజ్ అట్ అమేజింగ్ దిస్ గై నోస్ అబౌట్ వర్షిప్ వీ ఆర్ ద సకమ్సెషన్ who worship god in the spirit rejoice in christ jesus and have no confidence in the flesh he knows it is of the spirit not of the letter now we know that god does not hear sinners but if anyone is a worshipper of god and does his will he hears him why am i putting all this to come to this point and look at the next verse since the world began it has been unheard that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind if this man were not from god he could do nothing anangana vale emantaru judu next was they answered you are completely born in your sins you fellow are you teaching us and they cast him out and look at the next verse jesus heard that they cast him out and when he found them he said do you believe in the son of god kya baat hai you say jesus was waiting and waiting and waiting for seeing to see if this guy says he really likes the approval of men or he likes the approval of that from god alone and the moment he sees that this guy is only interested in the approval of god jesus comes to him when jesus sees that zacchaeus is the only he is now he is no longer interested in the approval of men he is the chief tax collector he is sitting there in the sycamore tree and jesus looks at him and he says zacchaeus how do you need to come to your house and he is no longer interested in the approval of men he has come to the end of his life and he says lord whatever i have taken first half my wealth i give it to the poor if i have taken anything any from anybody in a wrong way i give it four times you know what god says today salvation has come to your house because this fellow is also this man is truly a son of abraham you know why he has forsake he has forgotten he doesn't even care about what people think about him because he has come to the end of himself that is the reason why fear of man is a snare my dear brothers and sisters it's a snare and jesus heard that they had cast him out and he came to him and he said now i know that you are not just interested in your miracle you are not interested in the approval of men you are only interested that in the approval that comes from god and he says do you believe in the son of god isn't that an interesting question when the holy spirit comes he will convict the world world of what sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they did not believe in me this what works should we do to work do the works of god this is the work that you should do that you should believe in me and now if jesus wouldn't have confronted him at this point you know what would have happened he would have gotten his miracles miracle but he would have never been justified of his sin from his sin he would have gotten his miracle but he would have died in his sin when jesus heard that they had cast him out when jesus hears that you are no longer interested in the reputation that comes from men when jesus knows your heart that you are no longer interested in the ap- ap- approval of men he comes to your house and says zacchaeus come down 
It is so hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. But the very next verse, next chapter in Luke's gospel chapter 19, Luke's gospel chapter 18 ends, ends with that. It is very, very easy. It is easy for a camel to go through an eye of a needle. The other day I was looking at two camels walking. Hmm. Two fellows on the camels, no? I looked at the huge and very interesting that Jesus says it is easy for to put a camel through the eye of a needle. Maybe that is the reason why we have camel in geometry boxes. I don't know. It is easy to put a camel through an eye of a needle, but for a rich man to enter into heaven. And then then the disciple says, who can then be saved? What is impossible with man is possible with God. How is it proven? Luke's gospel chapter 19 starts with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, I need to come to your house. You know what God looks at this man? This man is not interested in the approval of men. He doesn't look for, he's sick and tired of his life now. What's the whole point? And God says, today, salvation has come into your hands. Do you believe in the Son of God? And the next verse? And next verse, verse 36. And he answered, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said, you have both seen him, and he it is who is talking with you. And then he says, Lord, I believe, and he? Ah, it is, is it impossible? God is looking for what? worshippers who worship him in spirit and in truth. Now this guy is born again, born of the spirit now. And then, you know, Jesus makes a powerful indictment. Verse 39, Jesus said, for judgment I have come into the world that those who do not see may see and those who see may be made blind. And then, then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said, are we blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say that we see, therefore you are. This is exactly that would have happened to this guy. If you would have said, no, 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 I don't know uh, who Jesus is. So many years outside, I was outside the temple, Baba. Please now, let me get assimilated into your religion. See, this is important for us to understand. Therefore, you know what, he's bringing the offering. You know what God says? You like the approval of men? Then you like the approval that comes from the only God. And therefore, I don't even accept your prayers. Why? Because your comparison is always other people. What is it? Who's your comparison? The person who's worse than me. Ah. That is your comparison. How do I know, know this? Turn with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 18, verse 9. uh, Verse 9 onwards. He spoke a parable to some who trusted in themselves and they were righteous and despised the others. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, other the tax collector. Look at what, how that, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus to himself. God, I thank you, God. I thank you like that I am not like. Who's your comparison, Baba? Standard ever? That tax collector, that is my standard. When you compare yourself with God, all your standards will go. That is the reason why Proverbs chapter 11 verse 1. <laughs> what does it say? 11 1. Dishonest scales. Unrighteous scales are an abomination to the Lord. But a complete stone is his delight. 
perfect stone. Who's the perfect stone? Jesus himself. Ultimate way that you have to compare yourself with who's? Jesus. Every other standard is an unrighteous standard. Okay. Okay. So that is the first thing you looked at. You like the honor from men and therefore your offering is defiled and you made my temple, my table what? Contemptible. Says the who? Says a lot of hosts. Now let's go back to Malachi chapter 9. Sorry, chapter 1. Verse 9. But now entreat God's favor that he may be gracious. While this is being done by your hands, will he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry, 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 sorry. Why will he not accept you like that? Why doesn't he accept the lame and the and the blind and the and whatever? We need to ask these questions. What is the re- what is he getting at here? What is such a big crime? If I don't give the best mic to God, what is such a big crime? What did I commit here? Just turn to chapter. 1 and verse 13 onwards. We look at it. Uh, 14, verse 14. Not 13, verse 14. But cursed be the deceiver who has in his flock a male and takes a vow, but sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts. My name is to be feared among the nations. You see, every sacrificial system in the old covenant was a symbol of Christ. So he says, if you are offering a bull as a burnt offering, you should offer a bull without blemish. If you are offering a lamb, Without blemish. If it is a Passover lamb, it has to be a male, a year old, without blemish. You know, the word for without blemish in Telugu is nirdoshamena. You know what that actually means? Without sin. So when you are offering something to God, without blemish means you are acknowledging that a sinless person has to take my place. That's what you are saying. When you are offering it as a burnt offering or, or any other offering, burnt offering or a, a, a what is called a peace offering or a for the atonement, etc. Whatever you are doing or, or a trespass offering, whatever offering that you are doing, one characteristic is common. It has to be something without blemish. So what are you saying? A sinless, innocent animal, in this case, has to take my place. But when you offer something which is with blemish, what are you saying? What are you saying? You are making me a sinner. Because ultimately my son is going to offer himself on the cross. Let me show you. First Peter now. First Peter. Chapter. This is really, really crucial. Okay. First Peter chapter 1 verse 17 onwards. And if you call on the father. Hmm, who without partiality judges according to each one's work. What should you do? 
conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. How will you do that? Verse 18. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like gold and silver from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your forefathers or from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Now, when you are bringing a, uh, a lame and a sick and a blemish animal into my, into my temple, you know what you're saying? My son is not precious. In fact, he's a sinner. That's what you're saying. You're making God a liar and a sinner. That is what you're doing. When you're saying anything goes with God, that means you're saying, my God is just like any other God. You're profaning my name. Go back. Malachi chapter 13 and verse 14. Look at what it says. Sorry, 1 verse 13. Verse 14. Chapter 1 verse 14. And my name is to be feared among nations. And when you bring this, you know what you're doing? You're calling my son who was not without spot or without blemish. He was full of... That means you're just lowering down my standards. And you're making me just like any other people, any other God. That is the reason why, you know what God tells, Jesus tells the Pharisees, don't ever think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. No. I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill the law and the prophets. And if any one of you relaxes the least of these my commandments and teaches others will be called what? Least in the kingdom of heaven. Least. You relax the requirement of the law. You relax anything that God requires and you make me like any other God. And I'm not like any other God. I'm completely holy. Completely. And that those animals are supposed to be a representation of my son. When I ask Abraham to offer Isaac, I mean, did I say offer any of your sons? No. I said offer your only son whom you love. And that followed till that time he never created any problem to you. I want that guy to be offered. That means he is a representation of ultimately who Christ is going to be. A sinless sacrifice. He had to be You know what? By doing that, you are actually discrediting the entire work of my son on the cross. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 5, please. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7 onwards. Actually, verse 6 onwards. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 6 onwards. Hmm, Yeah. And... uh, And he also says in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. That is interesting, isn't it? Okay. The most high God. Who is the most high God? Priest of the most high God? Melchizedek. Where do we get introduced to him? In Genesis chapter 14. He is called the priest of the most high God. That is the first time the word the most high God is used in the entire Bible. That means he is the God above all gods. And who is Melchizedek? He is the priest of the most high God. And he is the only person who can offer 
to God, sacrifices which are acceptable. And you know that Melchizedek, what he did when he was in the days of this flesh, verse 7, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him, who was able to save him from death and was hurt because of his godly fear. Why did he offer up so many sacrifices, so, so, those kinds of prayers? Simply because he said, Lord, I cannot sin. I cannot sin. If I sin, I will die in my sin. I did not come to die in my sin. I came to die for sin and therefore I have to be completely sinless. I have to become sin. He became sin for us. And in order to become sin, can you imagine in order to become sin, he had to be sinless? What a God! And you know when you offer all these things to God, you know what you are doing? You are bringing down the sacrifice of my son. That's exactly, look at that in the new covenant also. No, When we give... Not the best to God. What are we saying? Your sacrifice was not that great. That's exactly what you are saying. When we do sloppy work. When we are not serious about our walk with the Lord. When you don't come on time to church. It's okay. It's okay, it's okay. What you are doing? Will you do it to your governor? Will you do it to your boss? I remember the first time when I was called for interview. Interview. Called. I didn't go 25 minutes late. I went two and a half hours early. Think about that. How do you prioritize our lives? See, the priorities that we make in our lives is directly proportional to what we think about Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Do you understand that? And that poor widow says, Lord, you deserve my everything. You deserve my everything. You don't deserve my second best. You deserve the best of my life. Therefore, what should you do? Remember your creator in the days of your youth. It is good for a man to bear the burden when he is young. And may the Lord find in our congregation, even in our church, young people who say, Lord, the best of my life belongs to you. Not the dregs of my life. Because what you gave on the cross is the best. and cannot give you anything other than that. Why is there, should be, why are we exhorted to press on towards perfection? Why? Why? Because the sacrifice on the cross was what? Perfect! Why is this pressing on towards perfection? Why is this pressing on towards maturity? Why? Because he deserves it! If you will never do that, unless and until we have completely apprehended this truth into our hearts. When we give these kinds of sacrifices to God, we despise the offering of the Son on the cross. Because on the cross, He completely vindicated His name. What was His name? His name is holy, righteous. He is a God who forgives the iniquity and trespass, etc. And He visits the iniquity of the fathers. He will no way 
let the guilty go unpunished and on the cross he vindicated the name of God and when we offer something which is less than what is the requirement of God you know what you're doing you're saying hmm that sacrifice on the cross was nothing ultimately it is that which determines how we behave a lot of people in the body of Christ they don't have this why simply because they have never understood what the, how much Jesus had to go through. Like pastor was telling the other day, you know, dogs have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan. What is it? He literally had to go through hell. God, he was absolutely holy for the vilest of sins. Sins that you cannot even imagine. That is the reason why Art Katz in his, one of his famous sermons called God Crucified, he talks about, you see God on the cross. You know what he says? You see that God on the cross absolutely clean and pure. Absolutely in his thoughts he was clean. In his thoughts he was pure. He never had any kind of an ill motive towards anybody. He might have had temptations, but he never had impure thoughts. Can you imagine that? You can be tempted, but never have impure thoughts, because if he would have sinned even in his thoughts, then he would have been, become a blemishless, uh, a, a sacrifice of blemish. Do you see that God? And then he looked at all his congregation and he said, when I look at you, I look at all kinds of people who have done all kinds of sexual sins. And that God, who did not commit even a single thought, which is impure, died for you. You have no idea what it was for the Son of God to bear that shame and that guilt. He hung naked to cover your nakedness. And you wouldn't believe what happens to the translator. She just breaks down and she cries. Right there. She can't handle it anymore. My dear brothers and sisters, the sacrifice on the cross, we don't even understand. Strong bulls of Bashan. What are the bulls of Bashan, Baba? Demonic spirits. Surrounded him. And he disarmed all of them. And took away the handwriting of ordinances that was contrary to you. Nailing it to the cross. He abolished the law. You have no idea what that means. You'll only be able to understand it. And that was the sacrifice on the cross. And you think that sacrifice deserves anything less than the best? Is the point of Malachi. And then he comes to the point, you know, there's a central theme around which this whole prophecy is based upon. Turn with me to Malachi chapter 1 verse 10. Now, look at this. Look at this. Look at this. Look at this. This is powerful. Who is there even among you who would shut the doors, please? Please, please, please shut the doors. I don't want these sacrifices anymore. So that you would not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have, what? No pleasure in them. Please, please, shut the doors. I, I think, when I read that, I said, this is exactly what has happened to the church. 
God said, please shut the doors of the church. Please, please go back to your secret closet of prayer and just set your heart straight with me. Just understand what the cross is. Shut, shut the doors. I don't want these kinds of offerings where you're not understanding what it means for your, for my son to be hung on the cross. By bringing all this nonsense into the church, anything which is profane into the church, you're profaning my son and you're calling that sacrifice sin. Sorry. I'm not going to accept that. Shut the doors. Shut the doors. And verse 13. Look at what happens because of all this. This is the attitude. And you say, oh, what weariness. It's a burdensome exercise, Baba. That means you lost all your love for God. So, see, the, how did it start this whole thing? In what way have you loved us? That means you don't have any love anymore. You know, you don't have any love anymore because you do not know how much I paid for you. You do not know. Oh, what a weariness. 1 John chapter 5. Verse 1 onwards. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. What's that? Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah is born of God. The sinless, spotless Lamb of God. If he believes that he is the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, he is what? Born of God. And everyone who loves him, who begat, also loves him who is begotten of me. That means you also love the other person. Look at the next verse. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and keep his commandments for this is the love of God. Look at this. Verse 5. Verse 3. This is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not burdensome at all compared to what He has done for us. And if we really, really experience the love of God, what we give to God is not even a burdensome exercise. You said delight to serve Him. The first person who experienced this, I believe in the life, in his life is Genesis chapter 29 verses 18 and 19. <coughs> Now Jacob loved Rachel. <laughs> so he said, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your daughter, your younger daughter. Your younger daughter. And Laban said, it is better than give, that I give, give her to you. And look at Laban, is very, very, very smart. He didn't say that I'm going to give her to you. I'm going to certainly give her to you. Did he say that? Okay. See, you serve me seven years, Rachel is yours. No, no, no. He's just making vague promises. It is better that I give her to you than I give her to anybody else. But it is not a confirmation that he's giving her to him. You fool! Read the fine print. Nutcase. You're blinded by love. He's taking you for a ride. It is better that I give her to you than I should give her to another. Is it a confirmation? That he's going to give her to him? No! I know. Tu to mere jal mein fas gaya re bhai tu. Ho gaya. Stay with me. And look at the next verse. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. You know, this verse is given to us I believe because 
Paul reads this and he understands the spirit behind it. And therefore I believe he understood the spirit behind this verse and he writes 2 Corinthians chapter 4. That's a very strange way of saying it. Second Corinthians chapter 4 verse 16 onwards. Look at what he says. Laban did not promise Rachel, but God promised me his son. Did he not? God promised me anything. He's not like Laban. He doesn't say today I will give, tomorrow I will not go. He doesn't say it is better for me to give her to you than to give. That is not a confirmation, Baba. Therefore, we do not lose heart even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day for our light and light affliction which is only but for a moment. Baba, what is your light affliction? 39 times slashes from the Jews for so many, at least 4 or 5 times if I am right. In the perils of water, in the perils of false brethren, in the perils of Jews, in the perils of the Gentiles, in hungers often, in fastings often, in nakedness, in sword. What is that? Light affliction. You know why? Because of the love that I have for my father. And for my Jesus. Seven years is just like a few days. Dikte dikte ho gaya. Saat saal. Mila, Rachel? Nahi. So shock mila. Shock laga re. Pura pila ke, achcha sula ke, shock de diya. Mama ji ne. Mama ji bulta na? Kya bulta hai? Hindi mein? Sasur ji ne, baba. Sasur ji ne bhoot bada natak kar diya. Just imagine, no? He says, and he got up in the morning and behold, <laughs> it was Leah. <laughs> Shock of his life. That's what will happen to so many people. They think that they are serving God. They'll get up in the morning and behold, it'll be something else. You despise my offering. And because of this lovelessness in your life, you know what? This entire thing has become what? A fury exercise. Is serving God weary for us? Why does he deserve our best? I think we should check our hearts, no? We should check our hearts. The rulers of this world promise a lot. Gives nothing. <laughs> Ultimately, it is only death. It's fine print. I mean, I I, I, um, I bought an insurance, okay, medical insurance. Some from ICSA Lombard. I just bought this medical insurance. And that lady, after I bought, for initially she said, Sir, this is so good, sir. This is so nice, sir. See, this, this is that, sir. This is this, sir. I was like, oh my goodness, this is the best medical insurance in my life. I have never seen anybody speaking to me so nice. After I bought the medical insurance, she gave me another call. Sir, I, uh, I have to tell you something. Uh, this is not clear. This is not covered. 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 I said, what the heck is covered then? <laughs> this is not covered. This is not covered. First year, this is not covered, sir. Second year, this is not covered, sir. Third year, onwards, this is covered, sir. I said, what? Then why the heck did I take a medical insurance then? But I have to take it anyway. You take life insurance. Why? After you die... <laughs> You will get so much money. If after that day, why do I need that money? What are you talking about, Baba? See, that is what the world promises us. 
you know what god says in me there is life outside of me death he who has the son has what life he who does not have the son does not have life but the what wrath of god abides on him do we have him do we love him you know what the widow says lord all is yours lord all is lord and lord looks at that and says you know what my kingdom is built upon people like this man my kingdom is built on people like this and do you think these kind of widows when they pray will not answer them for given their everything to god <laughs> come on so those kinds of people put us to shame no think about it think about our entire life till now have we given our best to god have we given our best to god you know jack punan often gives this example you know in his in his messages he says if you have three children in your home first of all is extremely brilliant you have to send him to harvard second fellow also very brilliant send him to maybe oxford i'm using harvard and oxford for universality okay iit bolo to kisi ko samajh mein nahi aata aajkal theek hai so oxford harvard this guy ah, it's okay it's not a very good tutra bright nahi hai brilliant nahi hai isko kaam bhejta bible college by sending that fellow to bible college you know what you have done you have called my son useless that's what you have done actually this a representation you making a decision speaks how much you think about my son's sacrifice on the cross that's what it means every decision that we make that is the reason why when aru when at the threshing fold of aruna that jabu said what's his name re some jabu said that follows i forget his name aruna the jabu said okay his name is aruna the jabu said okay aruna the jabu said okay aruna the jabu said he says master master take it for free he says i will not give to god that will cost me what it is on that place where abraham gives the best the temple is is constructed is built on that place where you know where david says i will not give to god that which cost me nothing so that the plague of death may be stopped the church is built and on those people who make a covenant of god with sacrifice the church is built who say lord you deserve my best or nothing at all nothing but the best so you say you know what my body is the temple of the holy spirit right therefore if you are body god's temple preserve it as holy otherwise if you destroy this god will destroy you because i'm there inside of you as a deposit because we're talking about prayer we look at another place turn with me to first peter chapter 1 was 18 to 20 and we will go to the next point knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like gold and silver 
from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. You know something? Your life before Christ was what? Aimless. Are no re? My aim was to go to Max Planck Institute. If you don't have your aim as Christ, you are missing the. And if as long as you miss the mark, you are sinning. <laughs> right there, there is the gospel. But with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot and blemish. And look at the next verse. He indeed was foreordained. You know what? When did God decide to give the best? Before the foundation began. That is the point here. Before the foundation began, he said, I'm giving the best. That's the reason why it says, God so loved the world that he gave. But was manifest in these last times for you. Who through him believe in God? Who through him believe in God? Who raised him from the dead and gave him glory? So that your faith and your hope are in God. And therefore, if ever, 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 we in our life don't give our best to God, you know what we are saying? This man who died on the cross was just an ordinary man. It's no different from anybody else. There is only one mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus. You want to know about this man? Look at what it says in Hebrews chapter 1. Verse 1, 2 and 3. Seven things. God who at various times and various ways spoke in times past in, uh, passed to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his son. Okay, who is this one, Baba? Who he has appointed as the heir to all things. That means he owns my estate. First, through Owns my estate means the whole creation is his. Through him, he also made the world. Second, who is the brightness of the Father's glory? Third, he is the exact representation of God's person. Fourth, fifth, he upholds everything by the word of his power. Sixth, this five things, this is the God who purged your sins. And now he's sitting at, seated at the right hand of so if you, if you ever think that some ordinary person was there on the cross, these, this is the creator of the universe who is there on the cross. That's what he's trying to say. Therefore, he deserves my best. Because we are speaking in conjunction with prayer and I'm going to, to finish with this last thought. Turn with me to Malachi chapter 2. Verse 13 onwards. And this is the second thing you do. I like that. <laughs> okay, that is the second point. Okay, You cover the altar of the Lord with tears. With weeping and crying. If anybody sees that, they'll say, what a repentant, penitent sinner. With weeping and... So, Look at this. And this is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears. Look at the construction of sentences, okay? With weeping and crying. So, because you do this, so, he does not regard your offering anymore. Nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. Why? And then next verse 14. And you say, for what reason? Because the Lord had been Witness between you and the wife of your youth. With whom 
you have made, you have dealt treacherously. Yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. The next verse, let's read on. But did he not make them one? Having a remnant of the spirit? And why one? He seeks a godly offspring. Therefore, take heed to your spirit and let no one deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. And this is given to whom? Malachi. And the prophet is directly to husbands or wives? Husbands. Kya baat hai? It's dangerous, okay? I'm treading on very dangerous ground. And with the risk that our wives are going to take uh, hold of this and maybe come back to us, but it's okay. Because we have to preach the truth. Look at what it says in First Peter chapter 3. And I want you to look at two versions, okay? Two versions. Two versions, both NKJV and KJV. Okay? First Peter chapter 3 verse 7. Husbands, likewise, you know, likewise, wives ka ho gaya, sambhashan, husbands ka bhi ho raha hai. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding. Okay, now go to KJV. Husbands, likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. You know what the word for knowledge is? Gnosis, from which we get the word science. That means, you have to understand the science behind the woman. Not an easy thing. Not an easy. Somebody sent me the other day a forward. I'm going to read this to you, okay? I mean, I, I, I saw that and I, I was really, really t- touched. And I thought I had to share this with you. I didn't send it in the group because just just a part of it, no? Just a part of it. Okay. Some lady who wrote this. Have you ever noticed how in the scriptures men always are going up into the mountains to commune with the Lord? Yet in the scriptures we hardly ever hear of women going to the mountains. And we know why. Right? Because the women were too busy keeping life going. They couldn't abandon babies, meals, homes, fires, gardens, and a thousand responsibilities to make the men climb into the mountains. I was talking to a friend the other day saying that as a modern woman I feel like I'm Never free enough from my responsibilities. Never in a quiet enough or a holy enough spot to have the type of communion I want with God. Her response flowed me. That is why God comes to women, he says. Men have to climb the mountain to meet God. But God comes to women wherever they are. I mean, I thought it was fantastic. I mean, it was a little slight, slight emotions here and there. But I get the point. You husbands dwell with your woman, your wives according to gnosis. That's the word in 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 uh, Greek. Gnosis, balo science. 
Be interesting. There's a science behind the woman. In other words, understand, Baba. Let's go back now to NKJV. Dwell with them with understanding. How? Giving honor to the wife. Hey, I thought the husband has to be honored by the wife. Honor your husbands. He says, look at what Peter's saying. Giving honor to the wife as to a weaker vessel. And then he says, as being heirs together of the grace of God, that your may not be hindered. Your prayer. And so that guy is going and praying and praying, Lord, hear my prayer. I know what you did with your wife the other day. How you treat her. You don't even try to understand her. You don't even spend time with her. I mean, it's it's for all of us, okay? I'm not just we're all guilty. I'm as guilty as any other person. And you know what Lord says? Why did he make you into one spirit? So that he can have what what's what spring? A godly offspring, not just offspring. <laughs> Get to have offspring is not a big deal. Godly offspring is a problem. You see that? Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 8, verse 18. This is one of the most powerful verses in my in the Bible. Look at this, no? I I I read it so many times, and I, I mentioned it in some of my uh, other t- other uh, sharings also. Look at it, he says, "Here am I, and the children whom the Lord has given me. Who's missing? The wife is missing. Yeah, good. Thank you so much. You know what Isaiah is saying? When I say I, my wife is already included." And he says, here am I and my wife. And my wife and I are going to Japan. Grammatical mistake. The moment he said I, wife is included. I don't even have to mention my wife. She is like Malachi, no? She doesn't know she has no identity other than her husband. Here am I and the children that the Lord has given me. We are for signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells in Mount Zion. That is the purpose of marriage, he says. So if this is not what we are, because ultimately our covenant with God and our covenant, why am I bringing these two together? The covenant with God is equal to the covenant with your wife. It's a, it's a similarity here. It's a parable. The covenant with your wife is a parable of the permanent covenant that we will have with God. And the way that we deal here is directly proportional to the way that we deal with God in our attitude. What I mean. I'm not saying that we compromise the standards of God. No. That is not what I'm talking about. We don't compromise the standards of God as men. No. That is not what we are talking about. But we are talking about here. We just take this word. And and how did we come to this point? Malachi says in Malachi chapter 2 verse 10 to 12. Malachi chapter 2 verse 10 to 12. Have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? 
why do we deal treacherously with one another by profaning the covenant of the fathers? And then he said, Judah has dealt treacherously and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem for Judah has profaned the Lord's Look at this holy institution which he loves. I like the word, the way he puts this together. That is the reason why Hebrews chapter 13 says, Marriage is what? Honorable among all and the bed undefiled and whoremongers and adulterers. God will judge. This is, he has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem for Judah has profaned the Lord's holy institution which he has, which he loves. He has married a daughter of a foreign god. Why? Why is this important? Look at this. Some very interesting things in, in the Bible. Nehemiah chapter 13. You will see this spirit during the times of the uh, rebuilding of the temple. Okay, Nehemiah chapter 13 verse 23 onwards. In those days I saw Jews who are married, women of Ashdod, Amnon and Moab. <laughs> and look at this. And half of, the, of their children spoke the language of Ashdod. And could not speak the language of Judah. But spoke according to the language of the one or the other people. Isn't it interesting? That the other people did not speak the language of Judah. But our children spoke the language of the foreigners. That's remarkable. That's my parents keep on telling me. Vijay, come on, where is your daughters? Your daughters are not learning Telugu. Ultimately, we are Telugu people. Which is true. I'm ashamed now. I'm like, my goodness, I, my daughters have to learn. They, they don't know that, that language which I grew up in and it's such a, one of the best languages that you can learn. It's such a beautiful language if you really actually, uh, start enjoying it. And I'm, I'm reading the Telugu Bible. I'm just having a blast reading it. I don't even want to read the English Bible now. It's like that now. It's just come to that point. It's so beautiful. And what has happened? My children, Ostundi, Potadu, Idaru, Naluguru. Ide. You speak English fluently and we take very pride in that. Look at my children, son. My daughter. He is not like you, Kultis. They're all English. <laughs> Nonsense. Half their children spoke that. Now think of that spiritually now. They spoke the language of Ashdod, but no, not the language of praise. What they sing, they sing movie songs, but they can never sing songs of praise. That is Judah. The language of Judah means Praise. Have you seen? I mean, I've seen so many times, no? Like, they know so many other songs. But the songs of Zion, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no. No. Look at the next verse. And this, so I contended with them. Look at my Nehemiah is like, oh my goodness, he's like a, I contended with them and cursed them and struck them and pulled out their hair and made them swear by God. My goodness, this is like crazy guy. Okay. You shall not give your daughters as wives to their sons, not take their 
daughters for your sons as your sons. And he has a precedence to it. You know what he says? Look at the next verse. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among the many nations, there was no king like him who was beloved of his God. And God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, pagan women caused him even to what? Sin. And you look at your children. Half of them speak the language of the Ashdods, but they cannot sing the language of Judah. That's what exactly what happens. Where people have gone into, first of all, they don't marry according to God's standards. And the children are gone crazy. And they want to, and they, what are they pleading for? Mercy. What do we, what do we say? Do not get yourself unequally yoked with unbelievers. Unbelievers come up just because she's got a name called Mary, it doesn't mean that she's a believer. She could be very contrary to Mary. That Mary said, beat unto me according to your word. This Mary will never sit at the word. She's interested in so many other things other than the word. If she's interested in so many other things other than the word, do you think she'll be able to teach our children, her children the word? Isn't it interesting? Turn to Second Timothy chapter three verse fifteen. I mean, look at Paul. This is remarkable, and that from childhood, from childhood, you have known the holy scriptures. Who taught you the holy scriptures, Baba? Who taught you the holy scriptures? Mother and grandmother, not even the father. And that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And verse 16 is a very famous verse that we know. For all scripture is the inspiration of God. And who taught you this all scripture, Baba? Your parents, your mother especially. And if you don't have mothers who know this, who know their Bibles, what are they going to teach our children? They are the people who will be there with the children most of the time. Think about that. The problem is not only when some of the Jews do it. Am I I okay? Yeah, we'll be, we'll finish in a few minutes. Sorry, Isaiah chapter 8, verse 1. One to four, five actually. One to three, that's enough, okay? Moreover, the Lord said to me, Take a large scroll and write on it with a man's pen concerning Maharshalal Hashbaz. That's a Katarnak name actually. And I will take for myself a faithful witness to record Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of Jebarakaya. And I went to the Ah, huh? who's Isaiah's wife? Adi. So, what is our standard? See that? How far we have fallen from the standards of God? Can we honestly say that I and the children that the Lord has given me are for science and wonders in Israel? Think about that. That is the reason why we talk about separation. 
separation. Why is this message of separation keep, keeps, keeps on getting reiterated so that we do not think like the world thinks? Because if you go to Babylon, you know what Babylon said? I am not a, I am not a widow. Loves pleasure. Loves the things of this world. The problem is if Jews, okay, ordinary Jews have done it. But what are we in the new covenant? What priesthood? Holy priesthood. No, turn to Ezra chapter 9. And verse uh, 1 onwards. Yeah. When these things were done, the leaders came to me saying, the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the peoples of the lands with respect to the abominations of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians and the Amorites. For they have taken some of their daughters and their wives for themselves and their sons so that the holy seed, bah, look at this, the holy seed is mixed with the peoples of those lands. Ultimately, you are supposed to be the carriers of the holy seed. Are we not born of the seed of God? Of the word of God? Can the seed of the word of God mix with something else? There's a point over here. You see, and that is the reason why that institution called marriage is so important to God. So that he can find a husband and wife which are so in tune. And we are all in that process, okay? We have not arrived. This is only to examine our own hearts and the grace of God is available for us. No? So that it says, right, if two of you agree, whatever you bind on earth would be bound in heaven. You know where that agreement is possible? It's possible in a marriage. It is possible. It's not that all marriages are like that. It's not necessary that they are, but that is God's heart. Maybe this time that we are going through, we maybe have to take some drastic steps to get reconciled to our spouses in that we ask tough questions of each other and say, have we put God first? Are we giving our best to God? Or it's okay. Chalega. Dodega. That's not the point. That is not the way to do it. God has given us his best. It's not that uh, he is looking for perfection. I'll show you one verse and we will stop. Okay? First turn to first second Corinthians chapter eight. I love this verse. Which is such a liberating verse, okay? Verse uh, chapter eight, verse twelve. Second Corinthians chapter eight, verse twelve. Let's let's finish this. For if there is first a willing mind, that's all it's he's looking at that. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the best of the land. Because these things we cannot do it in our own strength. Impossible. We can try, we'll fail. But if there is a first willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what one does not have. God is only looking at what you have. To the best of your ability, are you doing 
or you gave him the best. That is what he's looking for. What you do not have, he's not looking for that. You're not looking at, you're not comparing yourself with one brother or the other sister and you're looking at that brother and says, look at, we have to be like that brother. No, no, no. To the best of your ability. Have you made those priorities in your life so that you can always be in a position to give God the best? If there first be a willing mind. Another translation? Maybe an LT. And I will look at translations and stop. If you are really eager to give, that's what he's looking for. This is what NLD, NIV. It is, it is not important how much you are able to give. God wants you to give what you have, not what you don't have. NASB, NIV. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Another place in NASB maybe. For if the readiness is present, that's all he's looking for. It is acceptable according to what a person has and not what according to the person does not have. So God is not looking for what you do not have. Don't manufacture things where you don't have. That you'll be, then you'll become like a, you know, clones. God is not looking for clones. Like pastor says, he's not looking for clones. He's looking for individuals who have given their best that they can give. So then, there's no pressure. You're not comparing yourself with this person or that person. There's no pressure here. The only thing is your heart. That's all he's looking for. Isn't that a liberating statement? Isn't our God good? Yes, I have given the best there. But I know your limitations. But I'm looking for what? Whether you have a readiness, if you have a willing mind. That's all. Whether you're eager. If the eagerness is there, if you're slack, if you're obtuse, then, sorry. So this morning, let us be challenged to give the God our best. If you are a young man, you are a young woman, your best years belong to God. Then the rest will be holy. Manithilayo, everybody, let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for this time. Father, I believe that you have spoken to all of our hearts, beginning with me, with me, Lord. And I, and the challenge is to all the young people, Lord. I'm particularly speaking to people who are my age, younger than me. Father, a challenge. You gave your best. And you deserve our best. But you also gave us this tremendous promise. If there be first a willing mind, it is acceptable. Not according to what one does not have, but what according to one has. And therefore this morning, we want to give ourselves to you. All that we have to you, to the best of our ability, to the best of our knowledge. Father, use us to build your church, Lord. We don't want to be left behind or put to the side. 
we want to be a part of that building coming to him as living stones so that we can become a holy priesthood who will offer spiritual sacrifices which is acceptable to god through jesus christ to that and i pray that you would bless all of us with the strength and more importantly though with the inclination to be eager creativeness the eagerness for you said it is god who works in you to will and to do his good pleasure to that and i pray that you would bless us for in jesus name we pray amen